1: Thursday, November the third, two thousand and twenty-two. November already, mark Christmas before you know it. Two thousand and twenty-three will be coming around too damn quick. It's scary, scary,
0: scary. How are you? Wonderful, Brendan. Wonderful. Um, and it is, it is scary, isn't it? Amazing how we just get a little bit older. And all of a sudden, those years, the events of each year. I remember when I was young, Christmas took forever, for absolute ever, to come around. And now yeah, especially
1: just- when you yeah you'd finish school. So Christmas here in in um, in in summer in in Australia, uh, you'd finish school, um, primary or secondary school. What sort of November, early December or so, um, late December for some people, and then you'd have off to about, what, February or something, didn't you, Mark? Um, it was crazy. But if um, even those three or four weeks before Christmas, you'd think it was an eternity, wasn't it? Um, you're thinking, oh, when's Christmas coming around? The Christmas tree's been up for so long. Whereas these days, yeah, you throw a Christmas tree up and before you know it, it's out on the nature strip waiting to get <laughs> recycled and picked up by the garbage collectors, Mark. So, Yes. Ah, life is getting busier or we're getting slower or...
0: Bit of both. (laughs) Bit of
1: both, bit of both. I'm well too, Mark. Thanks for not asking. And I think we will jump in (laughs) to... We have one and only... So this is part two of our episodes on Heinlein paresis in a rabbit. So if you missed part one, Stop. Now, go back to last week's episode, go up to vetgurus.com and click on episode 265 and you'll be able to listen to that first and then come back to where you were here now. And away we go. So what do we have, Mark? We have one news story this way.
0: Just one quick news story before we get into our part two, Brandon. I was going to talk to you about rete mirabile. And in, in particular, I wanted to talk about um, those wonderful nets of blood vessels in our cetaceans. Um, because it's recently been identified. And um, it's interesting because research in these species is... Like particularly difficult, they're protected, and it, and it is very difficult to um to make uh, um, anatomic studies and particularly uh, vascular adaptations that may have evolved to support uh, brain function. Um, but it has long been known that um, but that large animals like whales um, have uh, particular issues as they're diving because they can't. Uh, exhale they've got to hold their breath while they're diving um, they can't um, dampen the effects of large muscle masses and movements of body parts that might alter blood pressure and so as they dive down of course um, they've got their big tail the flukes waving through the water to dive them down to um, the depths of the ocean and those movements of the flukes of the tail cause waves of pressure changes in the circulatory system. And while it's um, long been thought to be the case, um, it's now been established that uh, these networks of blood vessels that surround particularly the brain uh, play a critical role in redistributing the pressure pulses from um, the arteries, uh, dampening them so that they are the, the, the surge of blood that might otherwise damage cells in the brain um, is dampened out and um, the brain doesn't suffer from well, you'd imagine that they could even faint on particular stages of the uh, the movement of the tail fluke. So um, that's a really uh, you know that there's so many metabolic uh, adaptations that cetaceans have to uh, have to, to cope with deep diving into the depths of the ocean, being a, a air breathing animal, um, it's fascinating to see how each part of them works together to to limit the damage that can be done by those uh, metabolic changes that deep sea diving could potentially affect.
1: Yes, and some quite neat little resin cast pictures there, Mark, of the of the um, vessels there and in the whales and did you
0: did you the article suggests those um those images reminded well this author at least of um jackson pollock paintings could you see that there brendan no (laughs) (laughs) me me
1: either (laughs) that maybe just because they said it looks a bit like a quilt as well (laughs) further on so i don't know where they've they've probably been on a bit of a deep dive themselves and uh um, they're feeling a bit lightheaded, Mark.
0: So, <laughs> yes. So well, that it leads j- me into. I was going to segue rather awkwardly <laughs> from my bit of news uh, that uh, discusses the metabolic changes um, of deep sea diving and how whales and dolphins are adapted to that. To quickly mention that uh, in our discussion of things, our list of differentials that. Uh, that could be involved in causing weakness in the hind legs of rabbits. I, I was remiss, Brendan. I was remiss in not mentioning that there are some metabolic causes that could be associated with um, with uh, weakness in the hind end of rabbits. And certainly, the list includes a number of electrolyte abnormalities, and uh, um, and particularly, uh, um, and, and it's difficult to know whether hypotension um is a is a cause or a consequence particularly uh, we see changes in blood sugar levels um, uh, often in very young rabbits that yes. um, can, can lead to altered nervous system function. Um, and so there are a number of those metabolic uh, changes that might be the consequence of other diseases. Uh, um, and and they can end up leading to a rabbit that has altered function in the hind end. And, and, and uh, you know what, Mark?
1: I'd, I'd even throw in the calcium vitamin D deficiencies in rabbits as well. Um, because I have seen that occasionally as well. So the metabolic bone disease, um, yes, sort of um, syndrome. Um, so that that's another potential one. And I think you had another one you wanted to. Mention. I did. I was going
0: to mention that it's often listed in many of the uh, um, of the. Uh, lists of differentials that can cause weakness, the ingestion of various toxins. But I've got to say that in my experience, that's been uh, far less of a, a primary concern. We have certainly had a couple of cases where that's where we've ended up that it was likely the ingestion of a particular plant at a particular stage in growth. Um, but they're, they're really quite unusual, aren't they, Brendan? Yep, I agree. <laughs> so there's
1: a couple of extra ones and if you can think of any more send us an email at at gmail.com and thank you for all our subscribers and also our main sponsors our supporters microchips australia f10 products from special um from Chemical Essentials, and also Specialised Animal Nutrition Australia, Oxbow Australia, Jen and the team. So thanks to all of them for helping support us, Mark. So yes, last week we spoke about the signs and the list, mostly of not complete, but mostly of differential (laughs) diagnostic um, aspects of, of what potential could be causing it. So this week we're going to jump in straight away, Mark, to the actual workup, how we start... Differentiate in those things on that differential diagnostic list and also the management. How do we treat this or control it? And then maybe a couple of thoughts on the prevention mark. So, workup wise, well. As usual, we we say our typical, I mean, I get a really detailed history that often helps narrow things down with any any pet, um, but especially with our unusual and exotic pets because history is so important in determining some of the potential causes there, Mark. So our aim there is with this home limb weakness in rabbits is to do especially a thorough neurological examination, Mark, and we're trying to localise the lesions. And it can be... Somewhat challenging doing a thorough neuro exam on a rabbit, can't it, Mark? Um, especially with such an animal that's a prey species, it might do that flight or fight response. So we don't want to be doing that neuro exam of that, that slightly um, nervous rabbit with the hind limb weakness it, and it suddenly explosively jumps out of your hands and lands on the floor, Mark, and we had a bro- broken leg or a broken back as we mentioned last week is one of the possible causes of the condition there. So it's a sort of systematic exam there and we, we can do although it's limited with some of the some of the responses that we may get to things like our proprioceptive test tests and that. But um I I very commonly will do the you know, hemi hop in and hemi 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 walk in sort of tests, some um, proprioceptive tests of those back legs, you know, folding that foot over and seeing if they detect it and how long it takes for them to to pull that foot up up to its normal. Um Location, although some rabbits, even when they have normal neuro, will will not do put it back up their mark. And I've probably probably seen the same with them, so it can be a little bit of a challenge. You know, patella tests, all those sorts of things we can do, gentle, you know, um, systematic palpation of the animal, especially that spinal region, to try and localize any sort of. local spinal pain, Mark, or muscle spasms in the region there, Mark? What else do we start to do as far as trying to differentiate things with our workup?
0: Well, I I reiterate the examination. I think um, uh, that gentle palpation, particularly the lower back and spine, is a useful step. And once we get to that point, we've done the the neuro exam, we've done some proprioceptive tests, we've done some gentle palpation. Um, then we do want to get uh, baseline uh, blood work and um, urinalysis. Obviously, we can use the blood sample. To uh, conduct assays for E. caniculi, and that can be a useful test, but it isn't often the first thing that we want to know when we have the blood. Um, and as we talked about earlier, those metabolic changes we're interested in knowing about the electrolytes and the the glucose, and um, and uh, and even just uh, whether we've got a rabbit that's um, uh, anemic or not. So. Um, blood, urine, um, the normal um, uh, basic uh, biochemistry profiles. Um, but then, what do we do from there, Brendan? Well, I think the one that we
1: often get to determine an answer or get an answer mark is a radi- radiograph or radiographs, um, because we, they're pretty dramatic. As we spoke last week about some of the spinal changes we might see with that spondylitis or the osteoarthritis. Of the joints, especially the hip joint in those hind legs, there, Mark. So um, that that's certainly my go-to and my um, a definite inclusion in the baseline tests that we do with them there. And it's gee, it's always good to show something to the client visually, like a pretty dramatic radiograph, isn't um, to the client. And showing here's the problem with your rabbit, and this is what we're going to consider doing to tr- try and help the rabbit, Mark. So radiographs uh, also. These days, I think more advanced diagnostics, as well, CT scan, MRI, um, is is increasingly being used. Um, we don't have, we do have access to, it, but not ready access to it. So I must admit, we don't do it as often as we'd like to do that but there, there's some other sort of modalities that we might consider doing with them as well but yeah most of it's pretty basic sort of stuff that we consider doing whether it's a dog or a cat or another small mammal or, or even our, our other exotics mark with a with a lameness there so we're, we're doing our bloods we're doing our physical exam where we're getting a detailed history we're, we're taking a bit of urine if we can and we're, we're doing our Um, taking out radiographs uh, there. And
0: and like you, I find the radiographs to be uh, one of the most useful um, diagnostic modalities in this process. But I'm also uh, regularly telling people that um, that, uh, it's great when we get an answer with our radiographs, but there are often times when we can have a problem and um, the radiographs might not... Uh, immediately give us that information and the one that leaps to mind is um, those uh, mobile um, uh, spinal avulsions where you can take a radiograph and uh, everything's in the right place but The explosive events of the trauma at the time the rabbit had a problem shifted the spine so far that the the uh, shifted the vertebra so far they acted like scissors and severed the spine. Um, But when you take the radiograph, everything bony looks like it's in the right place. So it's important to realise that um, that just because it doesn't show up on radiographs doesn't mean it's not there. But um, those rads are just excellent when they do show things up. Brendan, yes.
1: I agree 100% with that. So, well, we've ripped through the, the sort of work up there, but but I think it's fairly logical, the approach, and I don't think there's any any real specific uh, rabbit do's or don'ts that you'd miss otherwise um, just because it's a rabbit there, Mark. So let's jump into the management, and we'll obviously tailor the management or the control of it based on, you know, the the diagnosis of, of, of the cause, which we went through last week, Mark. And um, let's, let's just run through a few of them. And, and medication-wise, non-steroidals, Mark, um, which ones would you choose? What do you reach for first if you have, say, a chronic osteoarthritis there? Well, we
0: the, we use Meloxicam. And we use Meloxicam mainly because it has a great track record um, and because it's a liquid and so we can give a fairly precise dose um, and, um, and taper that to the the uh, individual rabbit. And rabbits seem to cope with, you know, you definitely have to be careful. You have to make sure you've got a hydrated patient. You have to make sure that uh, they don't have gastric ulceration or other gastrointestinal problems. I'm not suggesting it's worry-free, Brendan. And that's Uh, where our blood's in our urine. We're
1: rolling out renal issues as well, although we can sometimes reach for the meloxicam even when we do have a renal patient because that might be all all that works for that individual so it's risk and, and benefit yeah so sorry sorry for jumping in no no in
0: there. It's, but it, it's exactly right you you can regularly consider um, adjusting your dose if you have that information on hand to say that we have a patient that has a degree of renal compromise then you can still um, use your uh, meloxicam um, carefully um, attenuating the dose so that it uh, that it doesn't um, have as many deleterious effects, while maybe still can carrying as uh, those anti-inflammatory effects, which give it give it make it such a useful drug in these circumstances, particularly where we have um, trauma or uh, changes that. Uh, that are the result of inflammatory processes, um, the, the non and particularly moloxacam uh, are an excellent choice.
1: So what about our other drugs that we might consider in a dog or a cat for a long-term osteoarthritis mark? Do we well, use I've,
0: those? I do, I do. And I've had uh, great success um, with uh, uh, pentasan polysulfate. Uh, the the uh, pentosan drugs seem to have an outstanding effect um, in the spine and the hips of rabbits. So they seem to have a disproportionate um, beneficial, beneficial effect. If I look at um, the degree of problem that's going on in a rabbit um, and compare that maybe to a dog or a cat, um, I just get even more benefit from um that drug typically in rabbits than I would in in a dog or a cat and the interesting thing is that where in in our more in our larger more common companion animals uh the the seems to have the best effect before those radiographically evident osteoarthritic changes occur, um, I still get significant benefit with pentosan, even if I've got those um, horrendous uh, spinal radiographs with uh, the uh, massive enthesophytes and uh, uh, changes to the, the shape of the bone. I still get um, pretty significant benefit from pentasand, Brendan. Do you find the same thing?
1: Not surprisingly, yes. Mark. <laughs> okay, yes. And treatment wise I'd go with the similar process or, or recommendations that for dogs and we usually start off with the once a week injections uh, for the four weeks and then taper it from there depending on the individual we do have a fair number of rabbits that are on a, a monthly or, or bimonthly booster mark um, if they um, that's much more common than than the ones that would go on every Know three months, um, like the dogs would. Um, I think that's a. No, I'd say so. That's very unusual, to a bit of a rarity that we have a rabbit that responds to the, the pentazan that that we get away with every three months. What about you?
0: I think uh, um, exactly the same. That it does seem to be, um, the sort of situation where um, we need it much more frequently once we start needing it. Um, it's interesting that, um, you know, we were speaking last week about uh, the presence or absence of binkies as being a very useful guide to the, the, um, the strength of those back legs, um, the comfort in using them, and... Um, and it's often a good index as well for how successful the pentasan is, I find, that, um, that it's often as the binkies cease that uh, the clients are bringing the animal back in for their booster and that does seem to happen right about two or three weeks' time
1: yes look out for that binky deficit mark as, a, as the indicator for a vet visit so what else do we use mark so what what other what other medications I suppose would we consider to help control any any pain that's going on there as well um, that may they may or may not have an anti-inflammatory effect but certainly an analgesic effect for some of these chronic chronic causes of um, hind limb weakness where we have a pain um
0: uh, component. component um certainly the anytime we have a pain component we're thinking about the opiates, whether they would be a um a suitable adjunctive treatment um I tend to be a little bit more um you know I really want a clear indication I don't think about having uh, rabbits on one of the the uh, potential preparations that they can use long-term because the way that uh, the opiates can change gastrointestinal function, and very often these rabbits um, that have these sorts of problems uh, have fragile gastrointestinal function and a propensity to stasis. Um, So we're always a little bit careful about um, using them uh, in, in cases where... There's a low grade problem, but obviously where there's serious pain um, using um, some of the opiates and the uh, the analogs, things like um, tramadol or maybe even codeine, they're things that we would uh, consider employing um, around the time that an animal had significant trauma. Um, but I, I, they're not as commonly used for extended periods of time in my hands, Brendan.
1: Yes, similar here, Mark, and that, yeah, the the only other one that I'd comment on that we'd sometimes use, especially the the acute traumatic ones where they have a spinal issue or or a um, hip issue or whatever, so an an acute trauma trauma would be also the use of fentanyl patches, Mark, um, which are quite easy to to apply in a rabbit um, in between the shoulder blades there and although just remembering it does take at least six or 12 hours or so to really kick in the dose so use something else initially and they're left on for you know two to five days or so just to just to take the edge off things and provide that immediate pain relief and and yeah we rarely would be never really um, using that Continuously um, for them, so so we have our non-steroids, we have our our polysulfate, we have our our pain relievers, um, and the other ones there are, you know, that that, that are commonly mentioned and and administer um, the other products apart from those other opiates, like they get gabapentin and and also tramadol is sometimes dispensed with, with variable results. Um, you know, I've had some. Rabbits where placed on tramadol it seems to have a dramatic and obvious effect fairly immediately, and other rabbits it doesn't matter how much of it you pour into the animal, it, it doesn't seem to do anything. So, um, what else, Mark? What other sort of management? Um, I was, let, well, let's jump to the modifying the. Forget about medi- other medications and that for specific conditions. Um, a lot of these will be cr- chronic. Issues with the hind limb weakness, whether it's a long-term osteoarthritis, whether it's that spondylitis, whether it is a you know, nerve damage of some sort somewhere in the lower spine and/or you know one or, or both legs or in the pelvic region, then we have those rabbits that have that chronic weakness, partial paresis, full paresis, um, in the hind leg, and then that that subsequent propensity to get that urine scald etc so it's it's really asking the clients to be much more vigilant and to spend a lot more time with their rabbit cleaning them and and doing that sort of um, bedside treatment with them you know routinely it might be every day that they have to Pick up the rabbit, flip it over a couple of times a day, and, and gently bathe um, that that urine that's dribbling out because they have 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 chronic urine scald, and uh, and um, you know trying to bathe that and dry it and stop stop that um, stop that buildup of those secondary infections there, Mark. Um, it is. We- it's we,
0: certainly the case. I was going to say that, um, that that's a very important discussion to have because it is variable. We have clients who, yes. who are just, you know, outstanding and, um and are able to cope with uh, quite significant um commitments of time and effort to make sure their rabbits comfortable and um and no judgment on on anyone I wouldn't do that but there are other clients who uh who do not have the resources uh and time Available to do that, and it is fair to the rabbit to to make that decision at a reasonably early stage, so that they're Absolutely. not going through excessive discomfort. We're so with the urine scalding. Yes, they have
1: to be mentally prepared for the fact that they have um, to put in the time and the and and the effort. Um, and some people are just not wired to be able to provide that effort or to to cope with the fact that they have an animal that needs some um, special care long term. And if that's the case, then I think, you know, we need to be realistic about things and and everybody together makes the decision that perhaps we're not going to be able to provide what we need to, to give good quality of life for that animal longer term and we might have to... Consider making other decisions, like deciding it's time for that rabbit to to go to bunny heaven.
0: Mark, so Brendan, is there is there other things that um outside of specific medications? Uh, is there other things that you would suggest? And you know, uh, intense nursing care. What about adjustments to the rabbit's environment? Are there things that you would do to to um to make things more comfortable, what sort of things would you get the client yes. to do? Yes, and I think we
1: mentioned one of these last week, and that's the... No, maybe we didn't, but that's the obvious one there is making it easy for them to get around. And that includes the actual substrate they have. If it's an indoor rabbit, then often they already have decent substrates that enable the rabbit not to slip so they're not, you know, trying to scrabble around on, on floorboards, for instance. So we had some um, reasonably grip um, matting or... or or surfaces that are then regularly cleaned if they have that incontinence there and, and the scald in there. Um, cut in a lip in the litter tray because these rabbits, you know, most, if not 99%, of rabbits are, are very clean and they want to find their litter tray to be able to do their, their business. Mark. And I'm sure they feel frustrated if they if they can't manage to do that because they get up to that litter tray and it has that normal lip there and they just cannot or it's too much of a struggle or too painful to be able to do that little hop over the edge of the litter tray to get in there to to do their urine or their, or their faeces there. So cutting that lip out, it's quite simple to do and just making sure that they smooth over the edges of it. Yes, it does mean that you may end up getting a bit more litter being trashed around the room a little bit, but it makes it much more likely that a rabbit's going to think, gee, thanks for that. I can get in and out of my litter tray without without having to try and jump. Um, so same and- story with other access to other areas. You know, um, obviously, if there's rabbits that are used to going up upstairs, downstairs, Mark, in a, in a two story home, then that's probably not going to be happening anymore um, with these chronic ones. And you need to make sure that they're just kept on one level.
0: And even um, in those situations, the rabbits, despite their discomfort, can be so uh, single-minded that they continue to climb up the stairs even when it's dangerous. And so sometimes you've got to think of little barriers, little baby gates or structures like that to prevent the rabbits from getting up there. Um, and the other thing I like about um, the the uh, litter tray is that I think that that just slightly lessens the likelihood of the soiling, that if they have to hang on yes. uh, because they can't get in, they can't, uh, um, the litter, where they do end up going is not absorbent and so they're sitting in a little puddle. Um, just being cutting that lip out and giving them access just lessens the degree of, uh, of soiling around their perineum that uh, leads to urine scalding.
1: I agree. I agree 100% with that, Mark. And- so there's a few a few tips about sort of managing uh, sort of general tips there, not not specific to each particular um, diagnose, diagnosis there, Mark. Um, and speaking of diagnosis, is there anything we can do, Mark, to prevent these potential hind limb weakness issues in a rabbit? What do you think?
0: Of course there is, Brendan. And look, I think um, sometimes I feel like a little bit of a broken record uh, going over these things, but they're the usual suspects. We want to make sure that um, we watch their weight, that we make sure that we don't have an obese rabbit, that, that they're... Um, well exercised, that they don't just sit in the one spot inside. That they have some environmental enrichment through their their home that continues to keep them mobile um, and continues to exercise their muscles. Um, and those things are excellent starting points at home. Being aware of um, the likely points of uh, of trauma. So, as you mentioned uh, in the previous episode, when they do bink, they they are a bit over the top and they're not always in control and so a bink on a slippery surface particularly a slippery hard surface maybe near a step that's a spot you want to really uh discourage that behavior and and uh make sure that they've got some form of rubber matting or uh some non-slip surface that uh at least limits the chance they're going to have a a horrible accident at that location. Um, so designing their their home so it has the least risk, uh, making sure they feel protected so they don't uh, undertake that sort of fight or flight explosive behaviour, um, teaching young people how to handle them correctly. Um, and of course, I think regularly visiting your veterinarian to uh, keep up to speed make sure that sometimes they can start putting on a little bit of weight under that thick coat of fur and and uh, and all of a sudden they can be edging towards obesity and the consequent problems without us even knowing.
1: Yes, don't let your rabbit get fat, <laughs> same as any other species, Vach, yes. And it obviously puts, as we... As we're drummed in at vet school, um, it puts pressure on the musculoskeletal system and makes those dogs and cats and other species more prone to issues as they, especially as they age. And it is no different with the rabbits, Mark. Um, there is a component there, so you know regular exercise as well with them, because some people just plonk their rabbits in a little, a little tiny hutch, Mark, and don't even let them out for runs regularly. So you know. Mental health, um, but certainly physical health as well with these conditions is is an important factor. And speaking of health, yeah, regular health checks. So, you know, encouraging the clients. Another reason why they should be going regularly to the vet at least every six months with their rabbit to have a bit of a health check because we we're more experienced with potentially picking up the subtle signs that the owners may miss as far as a potential hind limb weakness issue and because we're not seeing that rabbit every day um, I think we we're, we're, we cheat a bit don't we when we're seeing seeing um, animals um, because we're you not, may we're I not I never um, cheat. <laughs> <laughs> I cheat all the time. Yeah, we're not we're not seeing them um, regularly, so it's 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 a lot easier to detect, to, to say that, look, your rabbit's got a hell of a lot fatter than last time um, <laughs> as soon as it's bonked on the table there, um, whereas they just think, yeah, feeding it one little extra carrot every day, um, is day can't do any harm. He doesn't look any fatter than he did yesterday, yesterday and the day before yeah. and the day before that, yes. So, yes. Yeah. Any final comments, Mark? Uh, well, the only other one we didn't touch, which we have covered elsewhere that I'd like to mention is it's a sort of management process and that's amputation mark it's not um, rare to it's unusual but it's not rare to have to call it quits on what if especially if it's just one of those iron legs that's getting into trouble constantly and we we do it as a salvage procedure for them and again a bit like what we're speaking about with choosing the right the right patient and the owners to cope with the long-term management for these animals the same story with the amputation too you need to have a good chat to the client about the ins and the outs of the amputation and 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 uh because there are individual rabbits that seem to to breeze by with an amputation of a hind leg and, and limb and never seem to have any issues with it but you um, typically the hind limb ones are, are more problematic than a um, because of all the weight there and everything that's going on with the back end compared with the front legs, Mark. But um, I certainly see some rabbits that just do not cope at all with amputation um, and end up being put down shortly afterwards because they just do not cope um, as an individual. So um, we need to have that conversation with them but in done correctly and done in on the right patient um in the right family situation an amputation um can be a good result with some of them and and can buy some time and and good quality of life
0: and i agree entirely brendan
1: and i think with that we are out of here we'll talk to you all next week thanks for listening